Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Right, today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. To the elders among you, I appeal... who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. I'll uh, come up and keep you company, Amanda. Thank you, Gina, so much, and Jean for doing that um, for us. If you don't know, Gina has been teaching our hosting team and our food bank team some basic sign language um, so that we can, as best as possible, communicate with people who are coming in um, who may uh, need that or sign and that kind of thing. They're doing an amazing, amazing job strengthening our church and helping us reach everyone, so thank you to the whole team. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Um, The last verse of Psalm 119 I find very prominent for today, you'll find out why. It says this, let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep, seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. Lord, thank you that you have created us, people with souls, souls that need to be cared for, souls that need to be saved, souls that need refreshing and renewal every single day, and souls that are completely reliant upon you. You are our wonderful, good shepherd, And we pray, Lord, for us who've gone astray this week in our minds, our hearts, our actions, whatever it is, come and find us once again. Bring us back into the fold. Holy Spirit, be the one who works in our hearts and our minds today and brings us to life and life forevermore that is found only in Jesus Christ. So we just ask for your help to listen, to understand as best as we can, and to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, we love your word, and most of all, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you 
um, heard from the reading, we're looking at, we've come to 1 Peter chapter 5 um, in our study of the book of 1 Peter. And in um, preaching class, you're always told to start the sermon with a hook so that people uh, bother listening until the end. <laughs> so my hook this week is, we are at, I am at the end of this message, or some point in the message, I'm going to let you know where we've come to as church leadership about where we should go um, in the next phase and season of our church with our church leadership, if that made any sense. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain where we've come to in our decision about what we're going to do next as a church. Some people who haven't been here for a while uh, won't know, but um, our lead pastor resigned sort of around March time. And through then, there's been, uh, it's a difficult season, and we've been going through a lot and trying to prayerfully make decisions, have conversations, and I'll say a little bit more as we go on. But um, there's your hook, so keep listening until the end, unless you really don't care, and then feel, feel free to head off. Um, but I'm not going to make the whole message about that. But I think it is sometimes worth just stopping and being mesmerized by God's sovereign timing, because we haven't forced this, this series and this sermon on this Sunday was planned way, way ago, a long time ago before any of this happened, and it's funny that it's just come to this point where we were able to make a decision about the future, and this is the sermon and this is the passage that we're meant to be looking at this Sunday. So on that Trust in your, if you do regular Bible reading of some kind, don't be surprised if it randomly fits the stage of life that you're in. Um, God is big enough to be doing that on our individual level and on the church level, and I love him for that. He's amazing. So, let's get into this, and to start with the basics, let's just look at what the text says on its basic level. So, if we could have the slide that has the main text on it, Bubs, if that's all right. So if we can look at, there we go. So in red are the main ideas. To the elders, I appeal, be shepherds of God's flock, and you will receive a reward when the chief shepherd returns. So in simple terms, this passage is very simple. Shepherd God's flock, to the elders, shepherds God, shepherd God's flock, and you will receive a reward. So let's go through those basic elements because that's essentially the main point. The other points are subpoints, but the main idea is elders shepherd the flock and you will receive a reward. Let's get into it in a little bit more detail. Elders. Elders were generally older men who would have been recognized and respected within a community for having raised their families in the faith being good husbands to their wives if they, had, uh, if they had wives, they would have been generally trusted by the church community to be able to wield the necessary authority that they had within a community in a compassionate and caring way. And they'd done that over many years so that they were trusted by the community to do that in the right way. They were not brand new converts, because brand new converts can show incredible enthusiasm early on, but they need to be tested. 
And elders were often older men who would have been tested in the faith and tested in seasons of life and proven themselves to be people that the church community could trust and look up to as examples in the faith. They had proven faithfulness through being tested and continuing to be models of the faith to the community, models in prayer, models in their marriages, models in the way that they obeyed the Lord and followed God through all seasons of their life. So that would would have been elders, the idea of elders. Now, important question, can a, because I've been saying he or men, can a woman be an elder? Now, on the most basic surface level, the obvious answer is yes, when you look at the world around us. In loads of situations around the world, women have pastored churches. They have led churches, and often they have done it brilliantly. So on that level, it is obvious that women have stepped into this role over many years. But as far as we can tell, when we've tried to, and I I think in certain situations, it's just the necessary thing to do. But as far as we can tell from Scripture it does seem that the role of an elder is a role for a man to step into that responsibility. Because from the very beginning of creation, God made men and women differently. Equal dignity, equal in every way. They were equal partners in this world to rule over this world and make the world flourish and extend God's kingdom. But they were given different responsibilities at different times in different pockets of society, and specifically or particularly, you could say, when it comes to families. Men should be fathers, and women should be mothers. And those are very distinct. Now, we absolutely recognize in many societies, sometimes women have had to be both mothers and fathers and had to play both roles. And in some family situations, the alternative, the man, The father has had to be a father and a mother due to different circumstances in the family. So we understand that. But the ideal that was created is that men and women do have different responsibilities in certain areas, and in in particular in a family area. And then from what we can tell from Scripture, the role of an elder is paralleled to the role of a father because elders in a church are meant to be fathers of the church family. And there are so many ways, and rightly so, that women need to serve in areas of responsibility in a church that men can't get into. Men cannot be mothers of the church. But the particular role of an elder that is sometimes emphasized in Scripture does seem to be a role, a responsibility that men should step into and step up to and take responsibility for. So I believe that, and we believe that this is a role that particularly in this situation, when he's saying elders, he's talking about generally older men who have proven themselves to be trustworthy in a community to be able to care for that community. Then we move on to the instruction. So to the elders I'm speaking in your community, shepherd the flock. And just take a moment to think of the incredible metaphor that is used. Throughout Scripture, this isn't new to Peter. Peter's not coming up with this one on his own. Peter is using a commonly used metaphor for leaders of God. And I think it's so poignant 
when you think about it. And just before the service, we were looking at Isaiah chapter 40. And it describes God as a shepherd in this way. He will tend, take care of his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And he will gently lead the mother ewes that are with young. The description here is of an individual, this is God, but of an individual, a shepherd, who has the ability to cover and look after an entire flock of people. So he's able to care for a large crowd, an entire flock, but he's also able to care for the smallest lamb in his arms and able to lead gently a pregnant ewe who just needs extra care A shepherd's able to do all of that. A shepherd is someone who gets up early and goes to bed late and can deal with flies and smells and difficult situations and rocky ground and thorny issues. And they are devoted to their flock. They have incredible ownership over their flock. They believe that this is their given responsibility to take care. And that is the main phrase. In this passage, it's repeated twice, the idea in the Greek of taking care. That's the major idea of shepherding the flock. That men in the community who've grown up in the faith, uh, or not necessarily, but been proven in the faith, are meant to be taking care of the community in the way that a shepherd looks after their sheep. And then they will receive a reward at the end. It isn't, and I think it's important to recognize this, and I reckon Peter is emphasizing this, it isn't always the most rewarding thing in the moment. It's rewarding at the end. In the moment, it can be incredibly difficult and challenging and trying to shepherd a flock or pastor a church. But there is a promise that there is a peculiar reward at the end. And I think it's peculiar to elders or people who've had this kind of role of responsibility because each Christian, the Bible says, will receive a reward at the end. This reward is not attached to your salvation. You are saved through faith alone and you believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved. But the way that you live does lead to a certain level of glory that will be recognized at the end of your life. How you have lived will be recognized by God. He's not just going to usher you in and go, oh, I just saved you, so that's all it is. No, he recognizes every Christian's life for how they've lived. But there is a peculiar reward that comes to those who've also looked after others, I think. Because not only do they see reward for their own life, but they see reward for the lives of those that they've cared for. How that flock are doing, or how the family are doing, or how that group are doing. And this now goes beyond elders, I reckon. I think this is for anyone who's leading ministries, who's looking after a family, who has a small group. You're just, you're caring for others and how those others grow up in the faith is a reward for you. And I think that's attached to how Jesus treats us at the end of our lives as we've persistently gone through this. And I love this, that how Peter addresses it. He he knows so well what the elders are thinking right now. Because he writes it, and like you can see in the red, it sounds quite simple, doesn't it? Elders, shepherd the flock, 
receive a reward, done. But if we can have the next slide, you can see one word that's highlighted. Why does he appeal to them? Why does he challenge them? The, uh, this is a strong word. He challenges, he exhorts, he urges them to do this, which suggests that it's not as simple as it might seem on face value. And the thing is, remember, Peter is saying this not as someone locked away in an ivory tower, just throwing out commands. He says, I'm saying this to you as a fellow elder. I've experienced this from my own personal experience as an elder in a church community. I know that this is a challenge. And then he also says, and I also saw how difficult it was for Jesus. I'm an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. He knows how tricky it was for Jesus to shepherd a small flock. And he knows it from his own personal experience. So he's not saying this from some ivory tower. He's saying this very personally to them. That this is a real challenge. And we're going to look at two of these challenges. The first challenge, I think, of shepherding a flock is the challenge of shepherding when the sheep are on fire. You need to remember the context here. It's lucky where, like, clip art just has all the right images, doesn't it? Um, you need to remember the context of what we're looking at in 1 Peter. If you've been coming through it uh, for a while with us, you will know that much of this letter has been about suffering and the trials and the pains that come with being a Christian and trying to follow the Lord and how things turn against you. And the main verse that we looked at uh, last week is verse 12 in chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you. Here's the thing. This world is very flammable. We live in a, dis a destructive, decaying, dangerous world for every human being. It's a flammable world, and sometimes there is just the natural challenge of living in this world. Sheep set on fire just because the world is dangerous. I'm talking about the natural challenges of shepherding a flock, because all of our lives are challenging. This week, our daughter was on strong medication for an illness that she had, and sadly, my nan died uh, on Wednesday or Thursday. And that's just my pocket of the world, your pocket of the world as well. All sorts of things going on. Just these challenges and trials, it's hard enough to try and deal with our own issues, isn't it? Let alone being called to shepherd or pastor in an environment where sheep are setting on fire all over the place. Just because of natural challenges, because we live in a broken, fallen world where this is always going to be the case. As a pastor, you always have to have a fire extinguisher near you because even when you're out having the most lovely time, there's going to be something because that's just where, the way the world is. And no matter how much we might want to try and protect ourselves and lock ourselves away in a sort of bubble-wrapped world, someday the flames are going to come for all of us. That's just the natural challenge of this world, the natural challenge of pastoring. And the pastor's responsibility is to ensure that the flock is cared for. Now, I thank God that the elders in the church, currently it's just me and Stephen, we don't have to do it all because we have incredible people 
who are willing to take responsibility and care for one another. Now that happens on the ground level. You care for one another in remarkable ways, just as friends, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We also have our amazing life group leaders who provide that extra level of care, or ministry leaders. And then we do have an assigned care team that my wife, Sean, currently oversees with Andres and Emily and Stephen and Gillian um, and Shola and Heather, all playing a part in the core care team, sending flowers to those who've uh, lost people and creating care packages and really thinking and praying on behalf of the church so that we can care for one another. And I'm so grateful to them for doing that and thankful to the wider team as well who are providing that kind of care. But that is the responsibility of, a, of an elder in a, in a church community to provide care for just the natural challenges of life. Then there are the supernatural challenges. Because remember, it, well, it's going to say in the next passage, there is a lion who likes eating sheep. The devil is, a, is prowling around like a roaring lion. And he wants to tear the church apart member by member. And this is a particular challenge for Christians and for churches. He doesn't have an appetite for non-Christians in the same way that he does for churches. And there is a supernatural challenge that goes on that is trying to rip churches member from member to ensure that we're not unified and that we don't love one another and that we don't care. And he works by influence. And the supernatural challenge of being an elder or a pastor in that kind of an environment is being able to discern what's going on. Because it can be a low-level influence of something demonic, perhaps, that is really affecting someone's life. And the way that you have to try and provide care for that is very different to how you might care for someone who's just strayed off the path and wandered away because they've started believing in something that isn't of God. You have to know how to care for each individual differently by discernment. Now, I, I did some very basic fire training when I uh, worked for Waitrose many years ago, and they told me that you don't just use the same fire extinguisher on all types of fires, which I would have done, because sometimes that will make it far worse. If you spray on a certain kind of fire, I think it's like water thing on electrics, apparently not a good idea. So you have to know which fire extinguisher to use on different fires. And I think with this supernatural challenge that goes on in the world, and the supernatural challenges that a church face, we have to know how to deal with different people in different situations through discernment. And again, I am so grateful that it's not just on the elders, we have incredible deacons and trustees who are prayerful and mindful and wise and able to try and read situations, give godly advice, give godly direction, and get a sense of what's actually going on so that we can care properly. And then there's just the fact that some sheep seem to like playing with fire and some just stand next to fire fires for far too long. Earlier in this letter of 1 Peter, he writes to an audience, some of them were just breaking the law. Some of them were committing crimes, and he's trying to encourage the elders to pastor into that. You don't just leave those people aside. You have to figure out how to care for people who are actually breaking the law in society. 
you have to also figure out how to care for those who are making terrible relationship decisions. It says, again earlier, it's likely that some of this community were following their sensual passions in decisions that they were making. And you have to know how to try and provide some advice and care and even direction when people are making awful relationship decisions. And then some sheep just live self-destructively. They live in ways that is not good for them and not good for the people around them. And again, a level of care and attention to those speaking into those situations. In a society where people would prefer you to stay your distance and say, don't have anything to do with me, being able to know how to work in that environment without becoming over the top or overbearing. These are some of the challenges. So, Elders on one level are acting as fire wardens and firefighters. Week in, week out, you're preaching, trying to generally lay out the guidelines in a flammable world to try and create a world, an environment that's as safe as possible for sheep to be healthy and strong. But then there are these moments when there is just a blaze coming across. There's fires everywhere, and you have to be willing to get a fire blanket and go, get alongside people and risk being burned in the process. That's the role of an elder on the natural, supernatural challenges of when your sheep set on fire. But here's the thing, and this is where it gets most personal, I think, is there is also a challenge of shepherding, and I think this is where Peter actually wants his readers to focus most of their attention in this passage. So let's focus our attention here. There is the main challenge of shepherding when the shepherd is on fire. Because the shepherd who is on fire will immediately burn the sheep. I am, to lighten the mood, because this, you all look a bit serious. Um, when I was a rather stupid teenage boy in a chemistry class. We've got a chemistry teacher over, over there. In chemistry lesson, in A-level, so I should have known better, um, we had those special metal liquids where you can see, if you spray it at a flame, they come out different colors, and you can tell what, uh, what kind of metal is in the liquid by the color it makes. My friend and I thought, I don't, we didn't plan. You know when you just do something because it seems like a funny idea, but you don't actually plan? We thought it'd be funny to cover a desk in all the different liquids. And then, but we weren't planning to do anything until the teacher decided that he had forgotten to demonstrate something to the class, and he brought the Bunsen burner over to our table and lit it. And as he lit it, the entire table goes up in flames. And it was really pretty. <laughs> they were all different colors. <coughs> And to make it worse, my uh, friend still had one of the bottles, and he thought it would be cool to just spray through, sprayed the teacher, and his apron caught on fire. <laughs> They're all fine now, though. <laughs> um, it's possible, and we all know too well, that it is possible, and Peter knew this really well, that he was writing to elders who actually had the potential to not only um, cause problems for themselves, but had the potential to set others on fire and to burn others. And th this is a, a tough moment in the, in the message. Look, 
we, uh, for church members who are here, you know, we are currently under a leadership review, looking into the leadership culture of the church, trying to understand where people may have been hurt, trying to look at ourselves through the honest gaze of, uh, gaze of Scripture and in the mirror of Scripture. Thank God we've got this rather than our own standards, or else we would always adjust. But So I'm doing a lot of introspection at the moment and trying to hear from God. So understand us there. We are, we are trying to do this, and the review is uh, underway. They're, they are very grateful for people who filled out the questionnaires. Um, they're looking at it all now, and they're on track for producing a report so that we can have recommendations and all of that. But the thing is here, do, do remember, because um, some of you I can see in your faces, that you're thinking, this is just a message for elders, so we can all leave, and it's just me and Stephen talking to each other. <laughs> But it does say that elders are meant to be an example to the flock, and therefore, we should all be learning the same lessons, yeah? So, this is a challenge particularly for pastors, because pastors have the ability to burn more sheep, but it's a challenge for all of us. So, under that idea that the main role, main goal of an elder is to take care of the flock, we can see three ways that that goes wrong. And three ways in the passage that Peter had seen. So I'm not even talking about society around us at the moment. Peter had observed that these were three ways that care could go wrong. And the first one is the pastor who just doesn't care. Pastors who don't care. It says here, don't do it under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. I think of an Old Testament story in the book of 1 Samuel. We're introduced to a priest called Eli. Now, Eli was priest in Shiloh, an area called Shiloh, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are famous for how awful and destructive they were. But actually, God's judgment comes first and foremost on Eli before it comes upon his sons, and I think that's because Eli had stopped caring about his calling. Because Eli had this great ancestry back to Aaron. So God had saved his people out of Egypt, and he'd given Moses as the main leader. But he had raised up Aaron to have this incredible privilege to be the head of the family who would be able to make sacrifices to God. So these guys had, at that time, the best access to God known to humanity. It was the greatest privilege you could ever imagine having in life. And yet a few generations later, we see Eli, who's part of that chain, and for him it wasn't a privilege, it was just a performance. And I think that can happen over generations, but it can obviously happen in our own lives too. We can start out having this amazing privilege and calling from God where we experience God in remarkable ways and we have a vision for our lives and God has called us to do something. Maybe it's serve in a certain ministry. Maybe it's lead something. Maybe it's just be in a certain workplace and have a certain calling on your life. And definitely for elders, it is to look after the flock. An incredible privilege but after many years, or even shorter, it can just become a performance. 
And the irony is, in the story, Eli was losing his vision physically, and it was symbolic of the fact that he had lost vision for what he'd been called to do in the first place. And Eli's great sin really was that he didn't care enough to stop his sons abusing people and abusing the temple. He just let them do it. And God judged him for that and said, well, I'm going to remove this status from you now and your family, and it's going to go to Samuel. And that is the first danger that I think Peter highlights for pastors who just don't care anymore. They're just doing it because they have to. They're just being there, turning up at the prayer meeting, reading the Bible, doing the scripture stuff, doing even preaching, just because it's their job, just because they have to. They've lost a sense of vision. It's gone from privilege to performance. And that kind of person cannot lead or take care of the flock of God. Because the flock will stop caring if the elder or pastor doesn't care. The second one is pastors who just take. And Peter says it like this, don't do this for greedy or shameful gain, but do it eagerly. And this was very prominent in the Old Testament. In Israel, they had priests and kings who were meant to be shepherds of the community, shepherds of the flock. And Ezekiel ends up, he's a prophet, and he he ends up having to say this. How uncomfortable would this have been to say to the leaders, supposed leaders of the community, to have to have the boldness to step up and say this to them? Shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. In Jesus' day, this was the temple leaders and the Pharisees who were recognized as having the authority in the community, but they were robbing widows and orphans of their last few pennies in order to pay for the temple upkeep. They should have been caring for that community more than any other, But instead, we hear situation after situation where they are actually increasing the taxes, making people feel bad, using religious obligation to force people to give them stuff so that they could get rich. That was in Jesus' day. I'm not talking about what's on the headlines at the moment. That was just in Jesus' time. The leaders of God's community were doing that. They were doing the whole thing so that they could gain status. A greedy shepherd will use his sheep as products so that he can get rich. Sadly, it happens at leaders' gatherings. People compare how big is your flock to your flock in order to try and get a greater sense of satisfaction themselves or a greater sense of achievement. They will trade off sheep versus sheep. Sheep just become a a product. They will use the flock as a platform for their further ministries so that they can go on to greater things and they'll forget completely about the flock themselves. They just take, take, take. And one real sign is that they start to prefer the bigger, stronger, healthier sheep in a church community, and they neglect the lost and the wayward and the stray. They don't care about the poor because they won't benefit them. 
They won't feed into their ego, or they won't be able to make the church look good. Now, we were at a leadership conference a few years ago where we were advised, if you really want to make Westminster Chapel great, you need to focus on the early 20-year-olds in the city. And I thank God that Howard had the conviction to say, no, absolutely not. We care about all of the people in this community. We're not just going to choose the healthy, the strong, in order to try and make ourselves look better. And then there's the pastors who take over. The third warning that Peter gives, not domineering or lording it over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Ezekiel actually carries on and says this. He's already said, look, you shepherds, you leaders of Israel, you are just taking everything for yourselves. And then he says this, with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. Now, as a parent, I know this, parents in the room will know this, it can be very tempting to resort to force in order to try and get your kids to behave or to act in a certain way, rather than choosing compassion, rather than doing things mercifully. Now, that isn't to say you never correct behavior, but the way that you do it and the heart with which you're doing it can really go wrong. And it's the same for pastors in churches. In order to try and get results, you resort to a certain way of preaching, a certain tone of voice, a certain manner in which you do pastoral care, a certain way in which you implement changes that force people and domineer over people and don't give people choices and don't give them freedom. You make people feel like they don't really have a place. They're just puppets in the system now. And the result of it all, as we see throughout the Old Testament, is that the sheep just scatter. Because if the pastors are not taking care of them, they have to try and take care of themselves. And people will run off and try and do their own thing. And I completely understand why. Peter is warning against all of these things. And this has led to a lot of personal reflection and it's continuing to happen. But I hope, actually, for everyone here, this is an example for all of us to watch our hearts, to think about why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I serving in this ministry? Why am I befriending this person? Why am I even coming to church, for example? Why am I doing these things? Have I turned it from a privilege to a performance? Have I started to just be doing this thing because I get something out of it rather than I get to give? All of these things can creep into all of our hearts, can't they? But do you know what the most reassuring thing, I think, for me is? Think about where Peter, if you know the story of Peter, think about where he is writing this from, not geographically, emotionally. Peter is not writing 10 rules on leadership as a great leader, as an expert, someone who's always got it right, built a great empire, and now I'm going to make a book out of it. Funnily enough, those people, never in their story of how I got great is I read a book about greatness, but never mind. But they just create a new product to make more money so that they can get even greater. Peter's not writing from that position. Peter, I imagine he hesitated to even write some of this stuff because he knew that he was writing it from a place of humility and absolute failure. Because if you know his story... 
going back a bit, he was traveling with Jesus for many years. He was there when there was a moment when the mother, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Mrs. Zebedee, she sidled up to Jesus and said, hey, my two sons, in your kingdom, would you mind if they sit on your right and your left? They could be your henchmen. They, they're great, trust me. They are the apple of their father's eye. They're wonderful. They're superb. They should be the next leaders alongside you, yeah? And how did Peter and all the other disciples feel at this point? It says they felt indignant. They were furious at the arrogance of someone suggesting such a thing, trying to uh, raise themselves up as the elite in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus teaches the incredibly important message, look, don't learn your leadership lessons from the world. Learn them from me. The future leaders in my kingdom are those who serve. Now fast forward a little bit. Peter, still indignant at the arrogance of those two, says to Jesus at a later date, don't worry Jesus, everyone else is going to leave you at some point. They are all going to abandon you. They're not really committed to this cause, but I will stick with you through thick and through thin. I will suffer with you through everything that happens. And as you might know, Peter became the pastor who denied Christ. That is not a good headline. There's been lots of headlines around the world at the moment about pastors. This is one of the worst. The pastor who denied Christ publicly just before he died. Imagine how Peter is feeling as he writes these things about the dangerous attitudes of pastors. And I think this is the key. Peter didn't write these instructions from a place of arrogance. He wrote them from a place of restoration and grace and reliance because Peter had no right to elevate himself to be the pastor of the early church. He was completely reliant on what Jesus would say at the moment after Jesus had risen from the dead and they were standing next to a fire. Jesus had every reason to say, actually, sorry, you failed. I'll give it to someone else. But Jesus, in the most compassionate way that you can imagine, as a shepherd holding a baby lamb or a shepherd tending to a, a broken leg of its sheep, speaks to Peter face to face and says, if you love me, go on, feed my sheep. And he restored him to be the pastor of that earliest church. Pastors are meant to be examples to the flock. This is meant to be from a place of restoration. You should only choose elders who demonstrate that they are reliant on the God who saves them, reliant on God's grace every single day, are not arrogant and thinking that they, because of their worldly credibility, should be a leader in an in a environment. It's because they've been restored by Jesus and called by him and given permission by him as long as they do it in the right way. An elder, first and foremost, is not a leader. An elder is a follower. So that brings you to the moment you've all been maybe waiting for, is where our plans are. I'll have a drink, build the suspense. This is all silly. Where does that leave us? Where have we been concentrating thinking? 
Myself and Stephen talking to Guy Miller, who oversees Commission, which is the family of churches that we're part of, and with Malcolm Kays, who's been giving insight into us over many years and has led multiple churches in really good ways. Um, we don't believe that we need to replace a lead pastor right now. We don't, we don't believe that we need a new leader and bring someone in from the outside. We don't believe right now, I'm saying right now because who knows what God will tell us to do in the future, but right now we don't believe we need a lead pastor. Right now what we need is a broader, wider, stronger eldership of men like this, men who are examples to this flock and have been for many years, men who are gonna be willing to serve without any level of compulsion, men who are happy to go unnoticed without recognition, Men who are inspiring to others without using any kind of force or coercion. We believe we need to build up a broader eldership because we have a very diverse church that is spread, dispersed around all of London, which makes it slightly unique amongst other churches that we might talk to who often have a smallish parish and they can sort of focus their attention in that area. We are spread very widely and we have huge diversity in the church. We need to reflect that in our eldership. We need to be stronger in that area. We need examples for all communities to come into. So that's where we've come to. Just to let you know on a funny side note, we've already had five offers uh, for people to be lead pastors for the advert we never advertised. <laughs> so don't worry, there's a lot of interest out there. <laughs> Emily's got very good at very politely replying to emails mainly from America. Um, so, to whet your appetites, on the 23rd of July, at our next church family meeting for our members, that's where we're going to be saying who we believe should be in the new elders meetings. They're not immediately going to be elders, but we believe that they should become elders within the next 12 months, depending on whether they really think, actually, after being in the elders meetings, whether they could stand me or Stephen, or uh, whether they can... Um, whether it's realistic, whether it's the right calling for them, all of that. But we'll let you know in the church family meeting. So that is a pitch for being church member in the future. Um, but we believe we need men of a larger group who will care, teach, guide, and ultimately lead us in worship. And if the band can come up now, because this is the ultimate role of the elder. There's this amazing scene in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, this glimpse into heavenly realities with all sorts of weird and wonderful pictures, but there's this scene over multiple stages of the throne of God where the Father, God the Father, is sat in the middle of the throne room in heaven, and to his side is the Son of God, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world to restore everyone, and round the throne is the Holy Spirit just partying, having a fantastic time, ready to go out into the whole world. And in that room are living creatures and angels and, it says, elders. 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples representing all of eldership. And what are they doing? They are casting their crowns at the feet of the throne of God and saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Notice they're wearing their crowns of the lives well lived, where they have cared for the flock well and Jesus has given them their crown of glory. And what do they do with their crown of glory? They cast it at his feet. He has rewarded them for a life well lived and a flock well cared for. And they show their true heart that it's all because of him. He is the chief shepherd of this church. He is the chief shepherd of everyone's lives. He is the one who's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. So why don't we stand and we can now just spend time worshiping. We will focus our minds on him and any future elders, that's their job, is to cast crowns at his feet and lead us all in worship. So why don't we pray, Lord, please be at the very center of this room right now. Be glorified amongst us. All honor and glory, power, wealth, wisdom, strength and praise belongs to you, God. And we worship you and we love you. You are awesome in power. You are the chief shepherd of this church. You are the ultimate lead pastor. You are the one who will lead us into green pastures. We want to focus all of our attention on you. And Lord, give us wisdom as we do in the future. But right now, let us worship. In Jesus' name we pray. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.